Welcome back to the Physics of Faith podcast. Tim, joined again with Tommy. We're going to be going into Philippians 2 today. Philippians 2. Fantastic. So great time talking about Philippians 1 in our last episode. If you'd like to go back to that, um, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, but here we're going to be jumping straight into Philippians 2. And uh, I'm going to be reading this from the NASB. And really no, no reason to hesitate. Let's just do this. Let's jump in. All right. All right, Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose." Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as light in this world, holding firmly the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven character, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. 
Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold people like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compensate for your absence and your service to me. All right. Another another very, uh, with a lot of, I've got a couple of things that are circled in there, another, another chapter with several <laughs> scriptures that you hear a lot and, and that, yeah. are, that are quoted a lot. Yeah. So when we start this particular one, uh, Paul, again, emphasizes the importance of unity and the joy that he finds when he hears that churches are in unity, but specifically around a singular purpose, which, as the theme of this has been, spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching uh, who Jesus Christ was. Yeah, I, I think that, that that shows how it's important to be, to, to have that unity. When you're, when you're, you know, in a church or you're in any, I mean, in any situation, whether it be a, a, a church or a business or a sports team or anything like that, if there is inner strife inside of your group, you're not going to go out and have a whole lot of success. And so the the most important thing is the thing to do first, at least, is to have that unity together, and it's going. The, you're all going in the same direction, and you're all pulling that rope in the same direction. You're pulling on the same rope in the same direction. Yeah, um, is 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 key there. Absolutely. So then he moves on into verses three and four, um, and this is where he says, "Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves." And you know, make sure you're looking at more than just your own interests. And I found this really uh, interesting because of what he talked about in the last chapter with those who were preaching the gospel um, to further their own interests, to mm-hmm. further their own standing, and to to um, try to take over Paul's place as the basically the guy that everybody looked to and respected. Yeah, I uh, so when I read when I read this most recently, I. I thought to my the first thing that came to my mind is if there was a verse of scripture that Generation Z needs to read more than anything else, it it would be this one, you know. Sure. And and I and I and I'm not a you know I, I don't like I don't like I'm not a big like blaming the boomers or millennials. I I don't like those intergenerational fights. I'm not. I don't I don't get into that, you know. But I think that you know you're seeing a lot in in kind of the fortunately. You're a little older than me, the generation behind us, so we're not the young ones yeah. anymore. Um, but in in you know you hear a lot about um, quiet quitting, yeah. a, um, working, acting your wage, you know, b- b- doing the doing the minimum. You know, you hear a lot of this about setting boundaries and and sure. things like that. And and I am not saying that all of those things are bad, but I think that the, the thing that that makes me uncomfortable is just the attitude behind it, the thinking of yourself first, the, you know, and, and I think that the Bible says the exact opposite. Like think of, I mean, he, he says right here, um, where to go, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Think about other people first before you think about yourself, do things for other people so that they're bettered before you better yourself, you yeah. know? Well, I, th- I think that is, uh, I think that is pretty astute. And, you know, when we talk about like Gen Z, millennials, 
Gen X, mm-hmm. boomers, all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you can also look to the generations that came before us and you can make the argument that there's a lot of things that we have to deal with now because they also pursued their own interests. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's that's why the next generation needs to learn it. I think yeah. a lot of times what we do when we're the young when we're the young generation coming up, mm-hmm. regardless of which generation you're in, we look at what things we have to endure because of what people did before us. And we use yeah. that to justify looking out for our own interests. Yeah. But if we look out for the interests of those around us, those who came before and those who will come behind, we can break that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and move things forward and and teach people to be more selfless. Mm-hmm. You know, so I so I do like I like what you're saying there. I think there's a I think more than just Gen Z, Gen Z, I think manifests it more because they, they talk about it a lot more and, yeah. and, and are and are more uh proud and proud of it and, and talk about it a lot more right. maybe than well, but yeah you're absolutely right <laughs> they're yeah. not the first they're not the first generation to be selfish well, by by any means they're the ones who are justifying it now because those who came before us did it previously exactly and yeah. now they see what it wrought yeah and they we turn around and say don't do this and like don't tell me what to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah um okay let's move on here Find my place. So verses five through ten, then we see um, Paul then takes this idea where he talks about um, where he had just talked about, you know, considering others as more important, looking uh, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Uh, ultimately, he's talking about being humble. And then mm-hmm. he talks about what Jesus did. Yeah. And he talks about how Jesus behaved. And he starts us off consider uh, he starts us off by pointing out that Jesus had already existed as God mm-hmm. before he came to in flesh. Right. Which this is a like this is a pretty important claim for those who would suggest that the early church didn't believe Jesus and Jesus's divinity. Which, yeah. you know, Brandon and I did some episodes on that where we've discussed that. But here it is plain as day. This is what Paul taught mm-hmm. and it came straight from the early church. Jesus was God. He yeah. was with God before he came to earth and he's with God again now after. Um, so pretty interesting stuff there. Um, so he, but he uses what Jesus was able to do. Like, look, if Jesus could humble himself. Yeah. (laughs) If if there was anybody that didn't need to be humble. Right. It's the creator of the universe in man, in human form. And yet he came to earth, left the glory of heaven, Mm -hmm. came to earth for the benefit of others, not thinking about his own interest. But for the benefit of others, I mean, that's what, you know, he says when he's washing the disciples' feet, I I came here to serve, not to be served. That's exactly what a a servant does is think about uh, what is good for others before you think about what's good for yourself. And that's that's what Jesus did. Absolutely, 100 percent. So uh, we then see, too, that the glory that Jesus gets is because of this humility Mm -hmm. and the acts of service that he he, – rendered for humanity. Um, and uh, and then what's what's interesting here is when we, we end, this is another one of those, you know, quotable passages, but when we get there into 10, we see that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, um, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, something that's interesting about this is that at that time, it was very much customary to say or quote, Caesar is Lord, and mm. burn incense to an image of the Roman emperor. 
mm-hmm. Christians would often refuse to do this, obviously, as well. They, they should refuse to do that. Yeah. Um, and this would result in their death. Um, because it was, but it was it was idolatry, and they knew it was better not to commit idolatry. Um, so Paul knows this when he writes this letter. Yeah. Right. And he uses this phrase. Paul Paul doesn't let mince words. He uses words like first flowery as he can be in this sometimes. Mm-hmm. He uses words specifically, and he uses phrases specifically. James did some similar things too, but so that when the readers read them, they'll understand his point. But also consider that he would write this, that all people would come to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord from the house of Caesar, mm-hmm. imprisoned. Do you think they didn't read his mail? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, and he's and he makes sure to say that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, yep, and under the earth, yep. You know, basically saying. Whether you're in heaven, you're in hell. Everybody's going to need to bow to the name of Jesus, and everybody's going to need to contest, uh, confess that Christ is Lord and to the glory of God. It's just going to where you're going to be doing it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, he says, you know, even the demons know that believe in God, and they shudder. You know, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so then, as we move forward into twelve and thirteen, again, we see some more some more famous lines here. But Paul implies that the Philippians know how to be obedient know how to be obedient, that they have been obedient to Jesus Christ, and um, that they uh, did this not just when Paul was there, but also after Paul had left. So, like, again, he's he's saying, good work, um, continue, keep that up. And he gets to this famous line, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, um, which, again, is, is an interesting one. He doesn't stop it at that there, though. He continues, for, for it is God who is at work in you. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. It's basically saying God wants and God finds it pleasing to sanctify you and to Mm -hmm. work you towards his perfection. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way we can be sanctified, right? Yeah, Yeah, we can't can't sanctify ourselves. We can't... um, you know, act in our own interest or, or any, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves perfect. There's nothing that we can do to get ourselves into heaven. There's nothing that we can do to be like Christ. It is only ev- everything that we do, being like Jesus is completely unnatural, you know, and and so that that's why it has to be God that works that out in you, not yourself. Absolutely. Um, now, this, I think this particular one, though, can can kind of hit the way the the scripture in James did when we talked about that with, um, you know, uh, um, when he talks about faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, here, you know, Paul is talking about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, does that sound like living victoriously to you? Yeah. Um, you know, also Paul is consistent in telling Christians not to fear, and that fear doesn't come from God, right? He writes a letter to Timothy a few years later, which he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. But he also consistently talks about the fear of God, Mm -hmm. which goes back to Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And what he, kind of what he is um, illustrating here is that it is right for us to have a fearful reverence of God. Yeah. If there's anything worth being afraid of, or concerned about, or in awe of, <laughs> it's God. Yeah. Right? Creator of the heavens and the earth. This this is it. This is this is everything. So 
everything you do, you should be wanting to honor him and, and reverence, right? So I think that's kind of what he's talking about. But as he's discussing this, he takes it back to his earlier statement, God who began this work will complete it. So yeah, you should work on it. But mm-hmm. he's talking about this in response to God, not to gain from God, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that... I, th- I think it was Brandon who 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 I don't know if he t- said it to me directly or maybe you've said it in a sermon about you know you, we hear the word fear and we think uh, afraid of like you're afraid of a snake or something right but it makes sense to be afraid of a snake you can you can be not afraid of a snake but have fear of a snake because it could be venomous and could bite you and could kill you so you don't walk up and shake hands with a snake (laughs) because you know what it can do and what its power is. Yes. Um, In in the same thing, we don't need to be uh, afraid of God, but we do know that God is the ultimate judge for what – he is way – he is the all the power of – I mean, he had the power to create the universe. He has all the knowledge and the power, and so it is him to decide if we get bitten by venom or if we, yeah. you know, it, it, it's. Yeah, he doesn't. I'm, I'm not finishing this well, but <laughs> well, he yeah. doesn't just determine if we did right or wrong. Yeah, he determined what right or wrong is exactly. And, yeah, and we should consider that in everything that we do. Yeah, um, you finish what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> better than I did. Yeah, thank unity. You. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Paul would be proud. All right. (laughs) All right. So then we get into verses 14 through 18. And uh, and he talks about, uh, you know, refraining from complaining and arguing with each other uh, to prove themselves to be blameless and innocent. Uh, Basically, what he's saying here is be separate from the world and be above reproach, which Mm. was another theme that we saw in James. Um, And he says it's important to do this because we are meant to be a light to the world. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't look like the world. Yeah. Right. And we also shouldn't um, complain or grumble. Right. Like, like, you know, we there are there are things that we do as followers of Christ that the world doesn't do that they get pleasure from. Mm-hmm. And so, by not doing those things, we shouldn't grumble that we don't get to do those things. We shouldn't yeah. grumble that we have to get up on sat on early on a Sunday morning to come to church to worship God. We shouldn't grumble or complain about giving a portion of what we earn back to our church, back to God, because we know why we're doing that. And if you if you complain about living a life like Christ, why would anybody want what you have? Yeah. You know. Well, that's a really good point is there should be something about this that draws people to us. Yeah. Right? Um and you know, as we've already discussed, he's really talking about unity so much in here. Complaining and arguing doesn't lead to, uh, to unity. It doesn't breed unity. It yeah. breeds division. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh you're you're talking about um you know, also kind of looking at it as don't complain and don't look to what the world's doing. Like, oh, well, it's too bad that I can't do that. And um, it's funny because I, I started thinking about the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a trend I saw when I was in Bible college like 20 years ago. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Christ and believe in Christ. Not everybody that I was around had that same uh, privilege, if you will, if that's the right word for it. Yeah, but they now knew Christ, and that's great, and we were now equal in Christ together, mm-hmm. right? But it would be interesting. We would have little 
get-togethers where people would be talking or having discussions about their salvation. And there were a number of people that would brag about their sins, mm. which was really, to me, was always really weird. Yeah. And also really enticing. Because mm-hmm. it was, while on the one hand, they weren't complaining that they couldn't do it anymore, they would talk about how enjoyable it was. Yeah. Which is really the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoyed my sin, and I no longer get to do that. Yeah. Right? And I think, again, this is what Paul gets to with a lot of his epistles and everything he writes is, we don't do things the way the world does, and there is greater joy in doing them the way that God intended. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we'll... In a little bit, we're going to get to chapter 4, which is... the. A, there's a passion there that I preached on it at Southside a couple couple months ago. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I that I talked about back then that it, it goes along in that is that God created God created us in His image, uh-huh. and so He created us for a purpose and to for for a certain purpose to be u- and be used in a certain way. And so, what sin is is going against the will of God for for how we are to act mm-hmm. because and the reason that it's a sin he God is not just some um <laughs> I'm thinking about Bruce Almighty where he's talking about God is I can't remember the actual line but he's talking about God is it's like a guy with a magnifying glass burning ants it's not like you know but he but he's not he doesn't say don't uh don't ha- don't sleep with someone you're not married to because I don't want you to he, he doesn't say don't do these things just cause there is a reason why it is good to not sleep with someone that you're not married to. It is good to not be drunk. It is good to not steal. It is good to not envy. It is good to not – because all of those things cause you harm. Whether you realize it or not, when you sin, you are causing yourself – maybe not in that moment, but eventually in some way – you will be harmed by those things. And that's why God gives us those commandments, because he knows how we're supposed to work and what's going to hurt us and what's not going to hurt us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're going to keep moving here. So we get to verses 19 through 24. And uh, and these verses here, and this is the, the remainder of this chapter, He Paul's really talking about two people um, – he talks. He starts off talking about sending Timothy to check in and report back, and he starts talking about Timothy's reputation. Um, says that hey, they they know um, who Timothy is. There, they know that he has been serving uh, with Paul for the furtherance of the gospel, um, and so he wants to send Timothy there, and he hopes to also be there eventually himself. Um, but one of the things that was interesting here again is he talks about this concept of seeking your own interests. He when he says that he has no one else but Timothy to send to them um who's of the same spirit because everyone else is seeking their own interests um and not the interests of Christ, which mm-hmm. kind of again goes back to the scene that we've been seeing. Some people have been preaching the gospel, but they've been doing it to puff themselves up and yeah. and then he's talked through this like don't do anything for yourself but make other people seem more important. He's really kind of repeating this theme and pointing out that yeah. I can't use somebody and God can't use somebody. Well, it, well, it's that's I guess that's not exactly what he's saying because he does say that 
when they preach the gospel and those four motives it's that good, it's, 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 yeah, still, it's they're still preaching the gospel. But he's but he is saying that he won't send anybody mm-hmm. who's that way because I think ultimately he's afraid that they could damage the work that's been done. Yeah, because they've made it about themselves. Yeah, and and he show, talks about that when he goes down into uh, verse twenty two that. He's proved himself because, as and by I'm reading from the NIV, so I know that's going to be different from what you're reading, and probably maybe different from what other folks are reading. But totally fine. Uh, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because, as a son with his father, he has served with me, served with me in the work of the gospel. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know that. We, I mean, it's believed that Timothy was a very, very young young man. Yeah. And you know, he Paul in one of his letters to Timothy he says like don't let them keep you down because you're young. Like yeah. you, you have the authority as as a, a servant of Christ and you've worked under my wing, you know. And so and that just kind of shows the importance of of training up other leaders, you know, especially in in a church or in just in any is training up um your replacement in a way, yeah. but but just being a a mentor to, to people, and um, you know that's what he did with that's what he did with Timothy, and because he has worked with him so closely, he trusts him, mm-hmm. and he knows that he's done good work with him before, and so he's going to send him back out, and he's comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. He he can trust Timothy, and it's interesting. He talks about Timothy's reputation um, after also talking about how they should always. To a degree, be concerned with theirs, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing: like we, um, you know, we, we shouldn't be caught up in with what other people think of us, right? Right. But other people, what other people think of us, should be indicative of who we are. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so that's the thing: some people might really like us, other people may not. But the reason for both of those should be because we serve the Lord and we're honor we honor God in everything that we do and we're faithful to that. And that's yeah. kind of what he's pointing Timothy's been faithful in these things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then he, he as he continues down here, he uh he then talks about um Epaphroditus and he indicates that Epaphroditus was the person who the Philippians sent to him. And uh and we we alluded to this before, but the Philippians actually I think sent a gift of money to Paul uh, to make sure that he had all of his needs met while he was in prison. But they did prison way different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than what I what I think of as prison. Maybe maybe not. Maybe it just it sounds different to me. It's not what I expect. Um, and and Paul values Epaphroditus, um, but once he gets there with Paul, Epaphroditus uh, falls sick and is ill. And Paul even says to the point of death. And he says that you know. He's suffering through this um, as he is trying to further the work of Jesus Christ. So this is an honorable thing. But um, but the Philippians heard that he was sick and became concerned, and they you know they cared. Again, this is an example of the Philippians just being a people of love that cared about other people mm-hmm. and wanted to see them taken care of. And so uh, so he credits it to God that Epaphroditus got better, uh, both for the Philippians' sake and for Paul's sake. And Epaphroditus will now return to them, and he'll bring this letter to them when he returns. Yeah, and and I love what he says in verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he you heard he was ill. Like he's yeah. he's worried that because he's sick, he's worried what the 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 folks back in Philippi are thinking. Like, oh crap, we sent this guy, and now he now he's, <laughs> he's or, or whatever the case may you know whatever the case may be. They're they're worried about him, and he doesn't. 
He doesn't want them because he knows that he's doing the work of God. And Mm -hmm. if he ends up getting sick because of that and and losing his life, so be it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's cool, though, that as that, as this chapter ends, Paul emphasizes that uh, Epaphroditus should be, um, you know, received with joy because he placed the work of the ministry above his own well-being. Yeah, he risked the, the very last sentence there. He risked his life to make up for the health you yourselves could not give me. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that he, he, he writes that from a you know, you wouldn't do it, so he did. I, I think no. that because he says so, because he talks so many much about how much he loved the, the Philippians and how much help they help. He says like th- they couldn't help him for whatever reason. You know, well, they they had families or whatever the case may be, yeah. and so because think, he did it, I think it would be unrealistic to expect the entire church to get up <laughs> to in get up to Rome. The, right? Yeah. So his point is that Epaphroditus came as on their behalf. Mm-hmm. You know, and he did it. Uh, for them as they stayed back where they were and took care of what they were doing. So, yeah, so it's you're right. It's not a dig on the Philippians. Yeah. It's, but it's why the Philippians maybe had concern, you know, because he did it on their behalf. Yeah. And now he was ill. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, that, that brings us to the close of Chapter 2. Did you have anything you want to hit on there at the end? I think we hit on everything. Okay, well... Let me just hit on a few of the themes again, just to kind of bring this home. But uh, we saw a theme of humility and obedience to Christ in all things, just as Christ was obedient to God and humbled himself to become man. Uh, He reminds the Philippians that uh, what they're currently doing um, uh, is good and that they already have a loving spirit in them, which is good. Um, He hits on that in a number of different ways. And again, he continues to emphasize unity, uh, and not just unity, but unity with a purpose. So these are the themes that we continue to see, um, almost like he's repeating himself, which we'll talk about that a little bit in Philippians 3. <laughs> you know, I, I realized that one of the things I, I, I wrote down here is, kind of his theme is like, just do it. <laughs> Don't complain about it. Just just do it. You know, it, yeah. it, it's the Nike slip. Just like, just do it. Don't argue. Who cares? Just just do it. Yeah. You know? 100%. <laughs> the original Nike. Yep. All right. All right. So we will come back again for Philippians 3. <laughs>